You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan Feldman. Tonight we start a new series on Israel called Coming Home Should All Jews Be Living in Israel? And this question is a very broad one. Some people argue that all Jews should not be living in Israel because if we were, we would be vulnerable, the Jews would all be in one spot, and it could be the end of the Jewish people. And that by having Jews spread throughout the world, we have um, a larger geographical uh, chance of surviving in many different places. They also argue that by being spread throughout the world, we can help Israel, we can be Israel's allies, we can advocate for Israel all over the world. And another argument is that by Jews being throughout the world, we can have an impact upon the societies we're in, we can fulfill the role of being a light unto the nations, we can bring Jewish values and Jewish ideas to the world and contribute to humanity at large. And this debate could be, uh, could be continued, but we're going to take another tack, and that is to look at the history of Jews returning to Israel. And if we look at the incredible growth of Israel, where shortly after the turn of the century, you had 60,000 Jews in Israel. By 1948, you had 600,000 Jews in Israel. And by about 10 years ago, you had 6 million Jews in Israel. Unbelievable growth and incredible times we are living in of the return of our indigenous people to our land, the return to our homeland, the return to the place of our matriarchs and patriarchs. So what is the meaning of all this? It's uh, unfortunate if you look at the history of Aliyah, you see that most of the people who came back were doing so to find a safe haven. Um, the first Aliyah was idealistic, but by the second Aliyah, they're fleeing the pogroms. Third Aliyah, they're fleeing Nazi Germany. Uh, after the state of Israel, uh, Sephardic Jews came to Israel fleeing uh, persecution in Arab and Muslim countries. Uh, Ethiopian Jewry, Yemenite Jewry, Russian Jewry, another million people came in the 90s and 2000s uh, after the fall of the Iron Curtain. Yet, throughout time, Jews have come to Israel for higher, nobler and reasons. Jews have come to Israel because it's our homeland, because it's the land of the Torah, because it's the land that God promised us and the land that we are destined to return to. And so this is what I'd like to look at. I'd like to look at the teachings in the Torah itself, because if we're going to be Zionists who are living out our Zionism for a positive reason, if we're going to be affirming it, if it's going to be inspiring us, then the place to look is to turn to the Torah, to the teachings of Judaism, and to see what the meaning is, what the significance is of returning to the land of Israel and why it's important. So I'd like to turn to some of the Torah texts and see what the teachings are about the specialness of the land of Israel and the importance of living here. So the place to begin is at the beginning, Genesis. And if we look at the third Parsha in Genesis, Genesis 12, the beginning of the story of the Jewish people, of Judaism, of the Hebrews, is Abraham and Sarah. And what is the first thing that we see about them. What is the introduction to what Abraham's life was about? 
God tells Abraham, go out from your land, from your birthplace, from your father's house, to the land that I will show you. Judaism begins with a journey to the land of Israel. And Rabbi Menashe Klein says, from here we learn that all Jews should heed this call and that there's a, uh, an eternal message for the Jew to return to our land. More about that uh, in part two. Today, part one, we're going to be looking at the philosophical reasons uh, and teachings of the meaning of being in Israel. Part two, we'll be looking at more of the halacha, uh, whether there's a commandment to return to it. So the next text is from the Talmud in uh, Babylonian Talmud in Ketubot. Ketubot is the marriage document, and we'll see later why um, that is a section of the Talmud that has many teachings on the land of Israel. The end of Ketubot, page 110, says, Rabbi Yirmiya Bar Abba said in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, anyone who walks four cubits, six feet in the land of Israel, they are assured a place in the world to come. Bein olam haba. Wow. Just for that alone would be a good reason to come to Israel. But the interesting question is, why is that? Why are we assured a special spiritual connection an elevation by being in the land of Israel. Yes, Israel is inspiring, but it's got to be more than that. So in order to understand, let's turn to the next teaching. The next teaching is also from the end of Ketubot. And it says something very surprising, very shocking. First of all, the Talmud starts out saying, a person should always live in the land of Israel, even in a town that is majority non-Jews, rather than living in a town out of Israel, as a, that is a majority of Jews. In other words, that there's something beyond simply one Jewish identity experience that is special to the land of Israel. There's something intangible about it. And Rabbi Yehuda Levi, perhaps the great first of the great Jewish leaders to make Aliyah, to come to Israel, which many of them did, the greatest ones did throughout uh, the last millennium, when he came to Israel, there was virtually no Jewish community. He was coming to a wasteland, and yet he left his life in Spain. He left at the peak of his career and of his fame, and he was a famous poet. He was a successful doctor, and he left it all behind to come to the land of Israel and to fulfill what we just saw in the rabbi's words, come to Israel even in a town uh, where there are non-Jews, even if there's no Jewish community. And then the same piece of Talmud continues. Well, this is the really shocking part. It says, for all those who live in Israel are as if they have a God, and all those who live in the diaspora, it's as if they have no God. Wow. What does that mean? So the Talmud then says, how can you say that there's no God outside of Israel? God, in the Psalms tell us, God's greatness fills the whole world. God transcends all. God is the creator of all. Is everywhere. So then it changes tack and it says, no, actually, it means someone who lives outside of the land of Israel, it's as if they have worshipped idols. So this is even more shocking. How could that be? What does that mean? So in order to understand it, we've got to turn to Nachmanides. Moshe ben Nachman, uh, 13th century, great rabbi, scholar, mystic, communal leader, 
He also made Aliyah towards the end of his life. And he says this. He says that when we talk about the God of Israel, the Torah calls it God of the land. The Almighty is the God of the land. What does that mean? Once again, isn't God the God of the universe? So he says this. He says that uh, just like you have physical laws of nature, where you have different forces, different impacts, you have gravity, you have physics, you have thermodynamics, you have energy. He says, so too in the spiritual realm, there are spiritual laws, so to speak. There are spiritual forces in the world. We call those spiritual forces angels. So he says that outside of the land of Israel, the world is run through these spiritual energies, through angels. But in Israel, the Jew in Israel, God himself is directly involved in the unfolding of events. In the book of Deuteronomy, it says that God, the God's eyes will be upon the land from the beginning of the year to its end. What does that mean? Doesn't God see all? It means though God micromanages more. God directs the events in Israel more than elsewhere. And if you look at the miracles of 1948, of the Six-Day War, we see how true this is. Let me give you an analogy. It's as if um, you worked for a corporation. And let's say the home headquarters was in Chicago, but there were branches all over the country. But they also had a branch in Chicago, so where you worked. So if you had worked in LA or New York, um, you would not see the CEO, or almost very rarely. And things would be run through the administrators, through the hierarchy, through the, um, uh, the uh, people who are taking direction from the CEO. But if you worked in the Chicago branch, there are times the CEO comes down on the floor, you can ask him questions, he gives direction directly himself. So too it is with God in the land of Israel. So, and conversely, outside of the land of Israel, since one is not under the direct direction of the Almighty, that's why the Talmud says it's as if a person had worshipped idols. Because our God consciousness is not as strong, it's not as powerful, and so we give importance to other things. Things influence us, our jobs, um, money, um, values that aren't Jewish values, and so anytime we don't place God at the top of our values and, it's, and it's, uh, we're influenced by other things, we give other things undue importance, ultimate importance, that is tantamount to worshiping God, to pushing God out of the picture, which is the source of idolatry. So this is one way to understand this teaching, that uh, in the land of Israel, one is more directly connected to the Almighty because he is running the events of Another teaching, another one which also is very shocking. And this one, there was a group of rabbis who were traveling to leave Israel. Rabbi Huda, Ben Betera, Rabbi Machi Ben Cheresh, Rabbi Hanani Ben Achi, and Rabbi Yeshua, and Rabbi Natan. And at one point, they got to the border, and they remembered that they were leaving Israel. And they raised their eyes, they started crying, and they tore their clothes. They quoted the verse, and you shall inherit the land and dwell in it. And because God said, I've given you the land to possess. 
And when they remembered that verse, which well, once again, we'll speak about more, about being enjoined to live in the land of Israel, it says they turned around and they went home. And then the Talmud says, and this is the uh, shocker, it says that living in the land of Israel is comparable to fulfilling all the mitzvot in the Torah. How could that be? What does that mean? That living in Israel is like all the mitzvot. So first of all, it doesn't mean that if you live here, you don't uh, have, you're not enjoined to do all the other mitzvot. But it means this as if it encompasses all the mitzvot. It's as great as all the mitzvot. How could that be? What does that mean? So we turn again to Nachmanides. And Nachmanides says this. He says that quotes the Sifri, and let me uh, read the Sifri. The Sifri, which is the Midrash and Devarim, it says, even though I exiled you from the land, you shall still be adorned with mitzvot. Why? So that upon your return, they will not seem like they are new to you. In other words, it's saying, and Nachmanides says this, and frankly, I don't really understand it, although there's some attempts to explain it. It says that outside of Israel, the mitzvot are there so we don't forget them. We do them so that we remain in practice, but the Essential fulfillment of the mitzvot is only in the land of Israel. Now, that's very shocking because it almost implies the opposite, that outside of Israel, we're not really doing the mitzvot. And the person would feel like, well, do I really have to do them? So there are those who want to explain that Nachmanides is not saying that they don't have value outside of Israel, but he's saying that it's a totally different ballgame in Israel, that their true, true fulfillment not just the mitzvot dependent upon the land, the agricultural ones, but all the mitzvot, their true fulfillment can only be done in the land of Israel. And he shows us how the patriarchs, who they were not commanded at Mount Sinai yet, but they fulfilled all the mitzvot when they were in the land of Israel, not outside of it, uh, to reinforce that. So Israel, being in Israel is tantamount to doing all the mitzvot because one can only truly fulfill them in the land of Israel, another powerful reason to be in the land of Israel. So let's sum up the three points, uh, four points, that Judaism started with an injunction for Abraham and Sarah to come and be in the land of Israel, and Jews throughout history, whenever we've been in the diaspora, have attempted to come. Two, being in Israel is a promise for the world to come. Three, living in Israel is like having a God and living outside of Israel is like being disconnected to the Almighty. And four, living in Israel is like fulfilling all the mitzvot. And if we could encompass all of this, all of these ideas, it is what Nachmanides says, that there's a greater kedushah, that there's a greater uh, holiness and connection to the Almighty in the land of Israel than anywhere else. Just like in Jerusalem, which is called the gates of heaven, there's a stronger connection than in the rest of the land of Israel. And next week, we'll see the injunction to live in Israel. Is it a commandment? Does the Torah tell us that every Jew has to uproot themselves and move to the land of Israel? And an interesting question. If a spouse wants to move to Israel and their, uh, their spouse uh, does not want to come, can they uh, file for divorce to come to Israel? So... Stay tuned. Part two, we will look at the mitzvot, the injunction 
Uh, is it a commandment? Is it an obligation for every Jew to pick up 